Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. We are approaching the anniversary of one of the great challenges that the area that I live in, Sonoma County, has ever had to deal with, and that is the wine country wildfires. It was an extraordinary challenge for the community that I grew up in and live in now, and we are still in a place where we're coming to grips with what happened, and as we approach that one-year anniversary, it's that sort of big opportunity to reflect and think about what happened and assess the road forward, assess what we've been through, assess how others have been able to support the journey that those affected by this wildfire and other wildfires in the state of California have been able to come together and deal with these sorts of of incredible natural disasters and incredible tragedies. Someone who has been a navigator of that process is Lizzie Johnson. And Lizzie Johnson is the beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, who has been covering environmental issues and primarily California wildfires and the wine country wildfire. Uh, Lizzie and I actually met very briefly at a press conference that was conducted at Santa Rosa Memorial Hospital during the wildfire. And she's been covering those events ever since. And I'm delighted to have her joining me on Explore the Space today to talk about the journey that she's been on in learning about wildfires, in seeing how they affect the way we are able to deliver healthcare, in seeing the effects that it has on our communities and how our communities are starting to dig out after these tragedies. And unfortunately, thinking about preparing for the next one. So Lizzie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's an unusual beat. Uh, it's an unusual beat to be the wildfire reporter. How does that happen? How does a reporter fall into a niche where you're going to cover wildfires? So it's a little bit of an interesting story. I had been covering City Hall for two years up until last summer, which is a very different kind of fire. And uh, I had had my fill. So I switched over to the general assignment beat around June of last year and was a little unmoored, wasn't sure what my area of expertise would become. And lo and behold, a couple of months later, the wine country wildfires hit. And after that, my editor asked me to stay on that beat for a year. And again, I thought, okay, so I'm on this through October. What happens after that? And the wildfires started getting more and more intense this summer to the point where people started calling me the fire girl. And I realized there was an opportunity there. So I was like, well, Maybe I just become the permanent fire girl, and that is how I became the Chronicle's fire reporter. It's interesting to think that we now live in a time where there is that need, and it sounds like the the wine country fires we're talking about early October, October eighth, and beyond. Of before that happened, what was your sense of this region? What was your sense of the impact of wildfires? How did you kind of how did those pieces sort of come together for you? So I had covered a wildfire a couple of years ago. It was the Butte Fire, um, which is a couple hours away from the Bay Area. And I was very flabbergasted by fires then. I grew up in Nebraska. We don't really have wildfires there. I know tornadoes. I could tell you a lot about tornadoes. (laughs) But at the time, I could not tell you very much about wildfires. But living in the state, it's something that you have to be well-versed in because it is such an ubiquitous threat and um, 
learned lots of little things like, you know, you can't turn your car off when you're covering a wildfire because it can suck all of the oxygen out of the air and then your engine won't start. Wow. I learned how to wear a Nomex suit and uh, all the legalese in terms of how to get back into evacuation zones. Under California law, reporters are allowed to have access even if everyone else has been evacuated. So I got that crash course a couple of years ago, but I never fully had to use it until the wine country wildfires happened. And when they happened, I remember you being on site at Santa Rosa Memorial. So obviously you were in Santa Rosa during the fire. When did you first come to town? When did you kind of saddle up and, and come north from San Francisco and start actively reporting on what was happening? Yeah, my parents had been in town visiting from Nebraska the weekend before the Wine Country wildfires happened. So that Sunday evening, I think it was October 8th, um, in the very late evening, my editor called me and he was like, you need to come back. There's something really strange happening up in Santa Rosa. There's wildfires in the city limits and we need you there. My parents and I had been at Yosemite. So I go knock on their hotel room around midnight and say, hey, you guys need to drive me back right now. So I got to Santa Rosa in the very early hours of Monday, October 9th, I believe it was, and basically was there for two weeks with, uh, you know, my one shirt and my one pair of pants and my hiking boots. I had hiked Half Dome that Sunday. So Monday morning, I was limping around to Coffee Park trying to interview all of these people and... It was crazy. It was unlike anything I've ever seen before. It's interesting the way you comment on the the knocking on the door, waking people up, and you're heading to the fire. We were doing the opposite. We were knocking on doors, waking people up, and, and getting out of town. It's interesting how you know certain people have that, I got to go in, in the direction of the fire. Obviously, we were overwhelmed by the number of people who reached out to be of support, first responders, firefighters, paramedics, nurses, physicians, and people such as yourselves who, you know, part of the part of the journey here is to make sure that the story is told and is told correctly. I'm curious, you were in Coffee Park and Coffee Park is one of the regions of Santa Rosa that was leveled by the wildfire over the course of the night of October 8th. And it adjoins Fountain Grove. And it's one of those very strange things where the fire crossed a freeway and got into Coffee Park. It got into Metro Santa Rosa and caused incredible destruction. Uh, being on the ground and asking people to reflect in the moment and comment in the moment after this sort of neighborhood Armageddon, what were your impressions? What sort of things were you hearing, seeing, smelling? So I had never heard of Coffee Park before the Wine Country Route fires. My editor gave me an intersection and told me to drive to that. It was something like um, Dogwood Drive up in that neighborhood. And when I got there, everything was gone. And it looked like something out of a horror film. One of those, oh, the world is ending and everyone's going to die, that kind of scene. Every house, even the fireplaces were leveled. That's how hot the fire burns. And normally when you drive through a neighborhood, you will at least see those really tall brick structures rising into the air and that kind of marks where a house was. But with this, you couldn't see anything. One lot bled into another lot, bled into another lot. And all you could really tell was, okay, here's a bathtub. Here is a washing machine. And here is a flaming gas line. Those were the only things that were left. The smoke was oppressively thick. 
you really couldn't breathe. It, it burned in your lungs every time you took a breath. In the sky, you could not see the sky. It was as thick as soup. And the sun was just this blood red orb. It was like out of Star Wars or something. It didn't look like you were on planet Earth anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm getting chills because I'm remembering my own impressions of what my hometown looked like that morning. And that is absolutely correct. We, uh, we evacuated at about three o'clock in the morning because our house is right on the edge of a mandatory evacuation zone. And, you know, I have a young son and a family and we all just decided it was time to decamp because we didn't know how things were going to go. And later that morning I, I returned to work and I remember driving towards the city and I have a picture, um, of, of the city and it's just gray. It's just this like thick gray wall. Uh, the roads were all open and it was amazing to sort of see cars going about their daily commutes. But as you approach Santa Rosa, it was like a, it looked like the side of a, of a naval vessel. It was just this gunmetal gray that locked everything down. And it was, it was frightening to see it. And it, it was bizarre, you know, with the roads being open, things like that, it looked normal, but then you would drive past the Kohl's department store and it would be on the ground. So you could not have any semblance of normalcy. I mean, this was something that really impacted even people whose homes survived because the entire landscape wasn't familiar anymore. All of those things that used to be there were just gone. And I think that really impacts your sense of safety when all of a sudden you're realizing okay, even though I live in a city, that doesn't mean I'm safe from a wildfire. Wildfires can move into urban areas, and it really shocked the state. This was one of the worst wildfires we have ever seen. What you just said, I think, is really important, and I want to kind of tease it out with you a little bit. And it's this idea of a sense of safety. And I think of, of all of the things that happened one of the major things that happened is the loss of that sense of safety, that feeling of in a municipal area, there are certain things where we're going to be okay. And I would agree with you and it's hard to reconcile. And that's one of the things that I am still really struggling with as a physician, as an adult, as a husband, as a father, all of those things that's been dented and as we've seen other fires erupt over the state over the last 12 months and we're entering the fire season again, it's, it's not the same as it was. It doesn't feel the same as it was. It doesn't feel as secure as it was. As you started your reporting, as you started meeting the residents of Coffee Park, the residents of Fountain Grove, the people that had been affected, what sense were you getting around that idea of a sense of safety? And over the course of the last 12 months, again, has that been a theme that's come up for you and come up for the people that you've been able to speak with? Yeah. So to understand what these people have went through, you kind of have to understand how erratic fire can be first. It's not like a hurricane or a tornado where it just tends to wipe out everything in its path. It's super random. Driving through Coffee Park, you would see, I remember specifically, there was a house that was leveled, but the jack-o'-lantern that had been sitting on its front steps was completely untouched. Wow. And I think that is what really threatens people's sense of safety because you can't even really depend on the violence of a wildfire because you have no idea how it's going to act. It can torch one house and leave the neighbors next door standing. So this was something no one had ever seen before. And in the days after the Wine Country wildfires, 
when fires were still raging, you have to remember that too. People were in a very sustained state of high alert because they didn't know if they would be safe in the coming days. I remember that vividly. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there was a shock. Everyone was in shock. And coming in as a journalist, I say sometimes it feels like being an untrained therapist because people tend to have this sense of survivor's guilt and they have a difficult time talking about what they've lost because the human nature is always to assume, okay, well, someone had it worse. Hmm. You know, the person who had smoke damage will not want to talk about it because they know someone lost their house. But then the person who lost their house won't want to talk about it because they know someone else lost their house is in a FEMA shelter. And the person in the FEMA shelter will be like, well, at least I have a shelter. There's another person that's homeless. So I think it's really difficult for something like this that impacts so many people to talk about what you have seen and heard because it doesn't seem like it's bad enough. And as I talk to people over and over, that's the sense that I kept getting where people were feeling really, really impacted by this, but couldn't really put words to it and couldn't explain what the long-term effects would be or were even able to take their power and say, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really struggling because it impacted so many people. And it's like, how do you even go about tackling a tragedy that big and giving people the resources they need to speak their truths? And it, it was incredible. And over the course of the last year, that's a theme that has kept emerging. This isn't something that just goes away in six months or a year. As I'm listening to you describe that, I am I am really struck by how thoughtful and sensitive you've been around the experience of the people that you've been able to interview, and I would actually really compliment you on that. I would also suggest that one of the tools that people have used, and this is something that, you know, on this show, we're always looking for how do we learn from something? How do we get better? How do we take an experience and extrapolate it so we can apply it to something else? One of the things that I was really struck by in this community is that people leverage that sense of fear, anxiety, I think what you pointed out, a level of survivor's guilt, and instead of hiding behind it, used it in a manner where they turned it towards the people who needed help. And there was a real sense of outreach and mutual support and generating a tremendous momentum to look out for those who have been affected by the fire. Have you had that same impression? Were you at all struck by the way the community stepped forward? Were you surprised by anything in particular? What was your sense of the reaction in the setting of the stress, the fear, the tragedy, the way the community tried to handle and address it? Even in the earliest days, even when we were still being evacuated, even when there were still new evacuation orders and, and new stressors popping up. Yeah, so it's interesting. I've talked to a lot of um, psychologists who deal with trauma for stories about the collective effect of post-traumatic stress disorder in Sonoma County after these fires. And so this community cohesion that you saw at the height of the fires and right after where Shop owners were hanging Sonoma County signs, Sonoma County strong signs up in their windows and raising money and leaving open tabs at the local coffee shop so the firefighters and first responders could caffeinate and then go back out to the fires. It was really incredible. And that's not something that's unique 
to Sonoma County. I've seen that in a lot of other areas that have been torched by fires recently. Same thing in Redding, which is maybe four hours north of San Francisco. And they recently underwent a really massive fire called the Car, which was also one of the most destructive in state history. So you have that phase where everyone is in it together. And you hear about the acts of heroism and people saving each other's life. And everyone kind of feels like they're bonded and in it together. And then slowly it drops off into this period of disillusionment where the people that weren't as affected go back to living their lives. And the people who lost their homes or had loved ones that lost their homes and all of a sudden had a second family living in their spare bedroom or their living room felt very forgotten. And so that has really been the scope of my reporting in the last year is, okay, after the flashy headlines end and the flames go out, And this isn't the biggest news anymore because, you know, there's some new policy from the Trump administration or families are getting separated at the border or there's a hurricane. What happens in this region then when everyone else leaves and they are still struggling to rebuild their lives and just how little can actually happen over the course of a year and how in July that community cohesion isn't as strong anymore because, you know, the wildfire was months and months ago. That's the kind of impact that doesn't last forever, if that makes sense. No, that does. And that was one of the things that I would say there was a, some concern about that there would be that voltage drop, that the, the, you know, the collective heart rate would kind of go down, but it doesn't mean that things are over. And, you know, if you drive around Coffee Park and you drive around Fountain Grove now, they're not rebuilt. Um, and there's still a lot of tension and drama around how that's all going to happen. But there was also conversation around how to mitigate that voltage drop and how to kind of keep people's attention on what needs to happen for this region to recover and to not be naive and recognize that the recovery will take a long time. Do you have a sense of, as we approach the one-year anniversary, has that voltage reached sort of a steady state? Do you think that around the anniversary of the wildfire and in anniversaries to come that it may draw more attention yet again to how things are going, things that are going well, things that need you know more attention paid? Absolutely. Those are really natural milestones. Six months out, one year out, people tend to return to the fire and ask, okay, well, what are we learning? Where are we at? Where is the yardstick? And time and time again, you know, it's never quite as far as outsiders would think. If you look at Coffee Park, which was by far one of the hardest hit areas, the first house went up in February, which seems quick, but it, it, it is also pretty slow. I mean, that's months and months after the fire hit. And even now, the neighborhood is still largely empty. Um, and so for the people left behind, I think it also helps around those anniversary times to have that attention again and to feel remembered. But I've also talked to a lot of people that feel like the voltage, voltage has dropped and has remained pretty low where... There's just no way for people to really understand what they're going through because, you know, they're moving every month because the the occupancy rate is so high in Sonoma County now that there just isn't any housing available. And their their children who might have gone to a school like Cardinal Newman, which was half destroyed, their children are going to new campuses really far away and they're struggling to figure out drop-offs and, you know, maybe their work was disrupted and they're dealing with their own mental health crisis and 
that's a lot at once. And that's not something that, you know, seeing a sign in a shop window can really do much to help. It'll help a little bit, but it can't fix everything. At some point, they just kind of feel like they're in it alone. It is a lot at once. And, and I can speak to, you know, the work that I do in the hospital, we still have people who are in a state of unstable housing or their access to healthcare was disrupted or their physician wasn't able to return to work right away because they lost their home. Uh, any number of those sorts of issues are still issues that we face right now. And I, I would agree with what you said, that there is still a, a great deal of work to be had. You have a very interesting strategic view of this. You are I feel like able to look at this from both a kind of ground level, a very granular level, but also from pretty high up because of the perspective you have as a reporter. And I would ask you to reflect on maybe one or two things that in your eyes have gone really well with the recovery and a place that, you know, attention really does still need to be paid that it, look, there is still a real opportunity here, or there's still a real problem uh, coming up on one year and then beyond. I think, Sonoma County as a whole and the city of Santa Rosa, which is the county seat and the area hardest hit, that's where the neighborhoods of Fountain Grove and Coffee Park are, have really done a pretty spectacular job in terms of trying to address so many issues simultaneously, because some of the problems caused by this fire were never seen before in history. Like um, up in Fountain Grove, the fire burned so hot that it partially destroyed the water system underground. They had to deal with that. And then they had to deal with a mental health crisis in the midst of budget cuts. And then they had to deal with, okay, we need to start issuing permits so people can rebuild their homes. How do we do that as quickly as possible? Even little things like, you know, talking to families and saying, hey, it makes all the difference just being able to submit a permit to rebuild online versus having to go into an office at City Hall and submit a piece of paper that makes my life a little easier. I think they, uh, the city government and the county government have been pretty receptive in terms of trying to help people get through this as quickly as possible and rebuild, which is pretty great from what I've heard from people on the ground. And uh, something that could be done better, I don't know if, I don't know how you could do it better. This is this is the fire that a lot of people are looking at as a model for what to come next. Like when I was up in Reading reporting on the car fire, the city officials that I talked to there were saying, you know, within a day of their fire, they had officials from Santa Rosa calling them and giving them advice. Same with Ventura, which suffered a really terrible fire, the Thomas fire last December. I think it's hard to figure out what to do better when you become the model for the worst fire disaster in the state. And Santa Rosa and Sonoma County will hold that title for a while, I think. Hopefully, hopefully there's not another big fire that's quite that destructive and fatal. It's an interesting badge to wear. Uh, and one of the things that came out of it that I would reflect on with a particular sense of pride was the number of physicians and healthcare providers that were displaced was extraordinarily high. And the community really quickly recognized that we need to keep those people 
in place so that we can continue to deliver a very high quality of healthcare. And one of the crown jewels of Sonoma County is a very, very high standard, a very diverse and a very rich healthcare environment. We're able to do a lot of incredible things here that a region of this size in other parts of the country are not able to do. Um, but when one out of every six physicians has just lost their home in less than 24 hours, it's a real challenge. And the efforts that were made to create a housing network, to, to build a housing hotline, to reach out to those who were displaced physicians, nurses, and everyone else, and to make resources available very, very quickly and to get them into temporary housing fast so that they A, they were safe, B, they're all accounted for, and C, those who are saying, listen, I need to return to duty. I, I, have, a, I have a job to do. I have a responsibility. I have people that I want to participate in taking care of. We're able to do so. It was incredible to see it, and those things are actually still active. That network is that that housing hotline is still active, and it's still it's still up and running. And um, the outreach in the community to say, I have, as you pointed out, I have a room available. I can put somebody up. I can take in three people and a dog. I can take in a family. Hey, I'm gone for six months. Someone can just take my house. The number of people that made those outreaches and and put resources forward. It was unbelievable. It was, it was truly unbelievable to see it happen. And I thought it was really interesting seeing how proactive it was too. Like there were some hospital systems that went through and looked at their patient addresses and matched them up to Cal Fire maps of where it got destroyed and tried to locate their patients and call them and just say, Hey, how's everything going? Are you doing okay? How can we help? And I think that is what has made the healing a little easier and, you know, less drastic compared to what it could be is just this sense of everyone hit the ground running right away after this fire, trying to figure out, okay, what do we do next? That period of mourning and inactivity was very small. It was very small. I would agree with that. And I'm curious, you know, one of the other things about this wildfire that your insight would be interesting to hear is it didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened over the course of a few months where there were an unprecedented number of really devastating natural disasters, Hurricane Maria, Hurricane Harvey, the Thomas fire in Ventura was right after the wine country fires. The San Francisco Chronicle has a, has an international footprint. It's not a local paper. What was your perception of the wildfire and how was it being perceived? How is it being read about, studied, considered outside of the region? What sort of input and feedback were you getting from, you know, people who were consuming your reportage outside of this region? It's interesting. So my email is very public and I get a lot of feedback from readers. And the more I write about wildfires, the more that I hear from people with different insights about what the state could be doing better or what global trends are. And the wine country wildfires in particular had a really global footprint. I remember sitting in my car on the side of the road in an evacuation area, talking to a radio station from New Zealand because wow. they really wanted to know what was happening. Um, I'm working right now on a one year project. It's a narrative that follows two couples as they rebuild their lives and how long that takes. And the the wife in one of the couples, her family in Germany knew that her house was gone before she did because of reporting and some YouTube videos that they had seen online. I think it's easy to look around at the landscape in Sonoma County and what's burned and just assume that, okay, this is our reality. And you forget 
just how deadly and big it was where the entire world for a little while was watching Napa, Sonoma County, Mendocino County, Lake County as it burns. And we're just completely horrified and awestruck. This is something that I don't think the world has seen in a really long time. And so, you know, that's just crazy when you really think about it. And now as California has continued to burn this entire fire season with some of the most erratic behavior we've ever seen, the Thomas fire that happened last December was among the biggest wildfires seen in state history. It was only recently that the Mendocino complex, which was burning up until a couple of weeks ago, nudged the Thomas fire out of the top one spot. You have the car fire up in Redding. All of these really massive blazes that are so destructive and they have all been in, you know, the last year, the last five years, the last decade. And that's not normal. That's a refrain that you hear a lot from state officials saying that fire season is year round now. And so the entire world is kind of looking to California with horror and saying, okay, this is the first real in our backyard implication of climate change that we're seeing with all of these fires and how they're impacting people's lives. And I think it's like a voyeuristic sense of horror of like, oh no, if this is happening here, what else is going to come next? What you said there is, I think, one of the key lessons that I've taken away from this. And I think if I was to speculate on what's going to inform your work over the next chunk of your career, it's going to be that this is probably the prelude or chapter one of the impact of climate change uh, on the West coast of the United States. And it's frightening. I mean, I'll be completely honest. It's, it's a frightening thing to think about. And one hopes that one of the things that comes out of it as part of the recovery effort is a recognition that, as you said, and as those in positions of authority have recognized, this is not normal. Um, but it may unfortunately become the new normal unless there are real proactive, thoughtful and comprehensive steps made to address the effects of climate change. Yeah. And, you know, you look at icebergs melting and you can kind of identify with that. People think polar bears are cute, but I think the impact hits home so much more when you see a place like Santa Rosa on fire, because everyone knows that suburban neighborhood. You know, maybe you grew up there. Maybe your significant other grew up there. Maybe you have a friend that grew up there. It's Americana, and that's not a place that fire should go. And so it is really jarring and scary to see that happen. It's a very tangible, everyday, everyone can relate impact of climate change, seeing that burn and being like, wow, that is not anything anyone ever thought would happen. As you describe that spectrum of survivor's guilt, you know, I'm, I'm way far on the left. I'm very, very fortunate that my home and my neighborhood were untouched by the fire. My parents' home and my sister's home were untouched by the fire. Um, I did grow up here. This is my hometown. Uh, it, my high school is the one that I graduated from Cardinal Newman High School and half of it burned to the ground. Um, it, it's, it is very, very jarring. It is very, very real to see these neighborhoods where we used to ride bikes when we were kids. As you say, they're just, they're gone. Um, and it's, if nothing else, as we stand together and work towards recovery, that we can also extrapolate those larger lessons that humankind as a whole really needs to be proactive and take the necessary steps, or we may not see the end of this soon. Yeah. Yeah. 
You have a very, very interesting career ahead of you. Uh, and I think one of the things that's going to inform the good work that you've done is your sense of thoughtfulness and sensitivity for the people that you get to interview. And I would really encourage that in your work because it really stands out. It's not numbers. It's not acres. It's not numbers of homes. You capture the sense of humanity in these tragedies, the sadness, the joy, the, the tension, and it's, it's wonderful to read it. Uh, and it's, it's going to be a real cornerstone. I hope of the way we all learn about this stuff and the way we all digest it as we come up on the anniversary of the, the wine country fires. And as we read about, you know, future fires, I think that we're going to turn to you, Lizzie, as, as a real leader to tell these stories. Uh, you've done an amazing job thus far and, uh, the, the way you've been able to help us reflect on the one year anniversary of what you've seen over the course of the last year has been really amazing. And, and I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about it. Yeah, thank you. And if I can make one little plug, there is more to come. We have, a big project coming out the first weekend of October. It's running over four days, October 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th. So keep an eye out for that and subscribe to local journalism because that's how I get paid and get the opportunity to do these stories. So that's my little Absolutely. 10 seconds feel. <laughs> and you said that your email is forward-facing. I know you're very active on Twitter. How do people find you on social media? Yeah, so my email is ljohnson at sfchronicle.com. Or you can find me on Twitter. It's Lizzie Johnson Ninnin. That's Lizzie L I Z Z I E J O H N S O N N N. Because my parents did not socially optimize my name when I was born. So <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I had to be Lizzie Johnson with the three N's at the end instead that's of one right. because that was taken. And your your big project around the one year anniversary would be found at the sfchronicle.com website. Yes, exactly. Wonderful. Well, we will absolutely go through the gamut of emotions as we read that material and look forward to the next the next things that you put out there for us so thanks again yeah thank you thank you for listening to explore the space visit us on our website explorethespaceshow.com and please subscribe to our podcast on itunes follow us on twitter at ets show and you can email dr shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com